If you are not born again, then you have no eternal purpose and certainly no eternal promise. Not a good one, that is. You are wasting extremely valuable time. However, that can surely change in just minutes. In a few moments, I will invite you to follow me in a simple prompt from your heart. And if you do, everything will change for you. Absolutely everything. Born again is such a beautiful reality. It transcends all of this life's glories and even sits rooted in heavenly places far above all contradiction. Here resides promise, purpose, and the power to tread upon serpents and scorpions. At this place Jesus Christ calls born again, one is literally born a second time. This time, as sons and daughters of God, quickened, made alive by the Holy Ghost himself. It is so true. We become new creatures. Second Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. At born again, all of your sins and shames are forgiven and washed away by Christ's cleansing blood. At born again, all of Satan's bondages are broken and thoroughly broken. The bigger, the better. Would you accept Jesus Christ as an authority on how to get to heaven? This is what he has to say. John 3, 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. At born again, your eternal journey begins, and what a marvelous journey it is. It's more, much more than amazing. Born again is not a bed of roses, no. It is hell and high water. But through this crucible, our Holy Ghost steel is forged. The purification of our persons is accomplished. You will become a Holy Ghost marvel, even in your own self. At born again, your new God-ordered purpose dwarfs all carnal dreams and natural aspirations. You will no longer live life upside down. You will no longer stumble at noonday. For the first time, you will have eyes to see and ears to hear. Here comes the prompt I promised. You are in the valley of decision, and this opportunity may never be extended again. Do not wait. Follow me now. Click on the further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, 1 Timothy six twenty and 21, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. God said, Proverbs chapter 35 and 6, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. God said, Exodus 20, verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. Man said, There was this big bang and everything you see, from the hummingbird and elephant, to the tulip and stalks of corn that feed the masses, to the sun, moon, and stars, 
to the human mind to consider all of it, just evolved from nothing into everything. Wow! Isn't evolution so awesome? It really satisfies the reasoning mind, don't you think? Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 1087, that will once again certify the supernatural inerrancy of God's holy Bible. All of these faith-building features are archived here in text and streaming audio for the edification of the blood-bought and to be used as ammunition in the battle for the lost sons and daughters of Adam. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for visiting today. May God's face shine upon you with light in truth. It has been the last days on this earth since the time of Christ. After Jesus ascended into heaven, the anticipation of his return in the minds of the born again was an eminent one. It has not changed since. The exact day and hour of Christ's return is knowledge only the Father possesses, but we are directed to watch for certain signs of his return. Those signs are now flashing red. A quick, a short recap of features 1, 2, and 3 of the names of blasphemy follow. In 1 John, the Apostle John introduces the term Antichrist to the world, 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. This Christ, whose name is the Word of God, Revelation 19.13, and this Christ, by whom God created all things, Hebrew chapter 1, verse 2, is the promised Messiah and Savior of all who will call upon His name. This is Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh, and all that deny this royal truth are Antichrist. Revelation twelve fifteen through 17 speaks of Satan, that venomous and deadly dragon, the serpent that cast water out of his mouth as the flood in his attempt to destroy the children of God. And it reads, And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as the flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. You've read of dragon water, death water, which proceeds out of the mouth of the serpent. Now consider John seven thirty-eight and 39. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Think of yourself, if you are born again, as a water-pumping source, or as a rivulet running down the hillside into the river before finally flowing to the ocean. Each of us pumps living water, the Word of God, which is the Word of life. Satan's entourage does the same, but the exact opposite, the 180. The devil's camp is the camp of the Antichrist, and his evolutionary rivulets are the world's university professors, the mainstream media, the promoters of pseudoscience, the progressive politicians, the entertainers. All are rivulets of the dragon's deadly water, and their number one enemy is the cross of Jesus Christ. 
Satan has a very large and inclusive tent where all are welcome, except the truth-talkers who declare Jesus is the Christ and the Lord of glory, and it's by him alone that men must be saved, Acts 4, 10 through 12. Evolution is surely one of the premier names of blasphemy found in Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth, Revelation 17, 5. Scientists with serious credentials have been quoted, declaring that the theory of evolution has not only not added to scientific research, but also has been proven worthless and much worse, very deadly. One example from Feature One and from D. Stratton's book Evolution Good Science, according to Professor Louis Benor, former president of the Biological Society of Strasbourg and director of the Strasbourg Zoological Museum, this theory has helped nothing in the progress of science, it is useless. According to Professor De Beer, Haeckel's recapitulation theory had lamentable effects on biological progress, and according to Professor Bletschmidt, it set back real scientific embryology a hundred years. A good example where evolutionary thinking has impeded medical progress is the belief in vestigial organs. The functions of these were not understood for years because they were assumed to be vestigial and a byproduct of our evolutionary history. In the case of the vestigial thymus, it led to the thymuses of children being subjected to radiotherapy with tragic results. For many years, the tonsils were understood to be vestigial and were often removed in childhood, but it is now known that these are part of the immune system. Removing the tonsils results in a four-fold increase in the likelihood of developing Hodgkin's disease, for example. Similarly, the belief in junk DNA has delayed progress in understanding genetics. Surely, if molecules to man evolution were true, we would continuously observe in nature a creative process of immense power, one that would have an enormous impact upon research and development and chemistry, biology, medicine, and agriculture. Instead, in real practical science, it appears to be irrelevant, end of quote. Evolution can produce no good thing. It is forbidden, but the list of its bad and deadly fruits are long indeed. Evolution's champions speak often and speak with a bold authority that they do not own. When their positions are challenged, they readily collapse. None of their positions hold under critical scrutiny simply because their positions are not true. Evolution, the theory of blasphemy, is a forbidden fruit hanging from the tree to make one wise. It is an abomination of deep proportions. Its godless, hedonistic spirit is the promoter of gross perversion of all kinds, including the world's number one promoter of racism and white supremacy. Those that bowed at evolution's throne would include Karl Marx, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, and the mother of death, Margaret Sanger, along with her abortion revolution, designed to control the proliferation of the undesirable people. How did the cancel culture miss it? Where are all the indignant protesters? End of quote. When the devil appeared to a young immigrant seeking fame and wealth in the dark world of the occult, he cautioned the young man 
that nothing good could be done with his new great wealth. The young man could lavish upon himself all the pleasures of life, but something good such as feeding orphans and widows was forbidden. Satan's M.O. is to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan's antichrist spirit of evolution can no more do good than darkness can become light. It is forbidden. A major last-day sign of doomsday is a spirit of strong delusion. The world's masses will hypnotically embrace the most bizarre lies and distortions dressed up and hidden in pseudoscientific words. Imagine believing that there was a Big Bang, and out of nothingness all the marvels of the earth, all its amazing life forms, the universe itself, all evolved. Nothing is everything. They have been taught that their first cousin is a mushroom, their second cousin is a banana, and their father is a monkey. There's a mystery afoot. How did the whale, a mammal, get back into the sea? Evolution proposes to solve this mystery by claiming that the water buffalo simply hung around the water so much that it evolved into a whale. Surely that answer is satisfying to the analytic mind, don't you think? Satan, the little G.O.D. of this earth, knows that all things are made out of words, and he knows that he must control the dialogue. Today, the God of creation and Jesus Christ, by whom he created all things, including the 6,000-year-old earth and its universe, we inhabit. These are all banned from the world's universities, textbooks, public forums, mainstream media, the entertainment industry, and more. Satan forbids the light to shine. To the beguiled, Jesus Christ is offensive and must not be permitted in the discourse of an enlightened and polite society. There are thousands and thousands of quotes made by scientists with serious credentials who don't subscribe to Darwinian evolution. And last week's feature, God Said, Man Said, printed just a handful. Satan's mainstream media sources have blacklisted this information. It is forbidden. The absurdity of evolutionary theory is truly staggering. It's even breathtaking that such total confusion and vacuous thinking could ever have gained any traction at all, but lo, it fills the whole earth. One quote from the third feature of the Names of Blasphemy series was a listing of the impossibilities of any kind of evolution that comes directly from the scientific community. In the book, That Their Words May Be Used Against Them, Dr. H. M. Morse quotes Sir Fred Hoyle and Chandra Rickmansinke in their book Evolution from Space. No matter how large the environment one considers, life cannot have a random beginning. Troops of monkeys thundering away at random on typewriters could not produce the works of Shakespeare for the practical reason that the whole observable universe is not large enough to contain the necessary monkey hordes, the necessary typewriters, and certainly not the waste paper baskets required for the deposition of wrong attempts. The same is true for living material. The likelihood of the spontaneous formation of life from inanimate matter is one to a number with 40,000 knots after it. It is big enough to bury Darwin in the whole theory of evolution. There was no primeval soup, either on this planet nor on any other, and if the beginnings of life were not random, they must therefore have been the product of purposeful intelligence, end of quote. Surely the spirit of strong delusion abounds. 
It's called uniformitarianism, and it is foundational to evolution. Without it, there is no evolution. Uniformitarianism hypothesizes the billions of years necessary in the time and chance equation, which is the lifeblood of evolution. Further, uniformitarianism postulates that present geological conditions have been as they are from the very beginning, in other words, uniform. Extrapolating backwards from the history one can see, one can tell the history of what cannot be seen. A common axiom in uniformitarianism is, the present is the key to the past. Uniformitarianism is a major player in the deceivableness of unrighteousness that rules in the end of days. The entire premise of the deceivableness of unrighteousness is unbelief, and it prevails upon the earth right now. There are two major events that took place in the past that even the most ardent uniformitarian would not call uniform, and these two events are established beyond any reasonable doubt. However, because evolutionists approach the creative work of God in unbelief, they are oblivious to the obvious. They are, in essence, possessed of a spirit of strong delusion. Event one is creation itself which Genesis chapter 1 depicts as an abrupt six-day process that occurred just over 6,000 years ago. If a student of the Bible were to have arrived on earth on its seventh day and met Adam and Eve, the student would know these two individuals were just a day old because God's Word said so. On the other hand, should a uniformitarian arrive on earth on its seventh day and also met Adam and Eve, the uniformitarian would assume billions of years of history. He would assume parents and grandparents for Adam and Eve and lineage all the way back to monkeys and a primordial soup, even to a Big Bang that exploded a bunch of nothingness into somethingness. The believer and the unbeliever meet the same Adam and Eve and see the same seven-day seven earth, excuse me, but their conclusions are 180 degrees out because their approach is 180 out. Event two is the Bible's account of a global flood in the days of Noah, during which all land creatures that had the breath of life in their nostrils were destroyed. The only exceptions were those upon Noah's ark. No one would call such an event a geologically uniform event. Uniformitarians must deny Noah, even in the face of all the world's mountain peaks festooned with marine fossils, even while reading hundreds of ancient non-biblical societal records all saying yes to a world destroyed by water, even knowing that the overwhelmingly majority of all fossils were buried by water action. Believe me, this is just scratching the surface. Unbelievers must deny because if Noah is true, they are ruined. Uniformitarianism is an assumption that is built into all of evolution's formulas, especially dating techniques. But because they start upside down, their conclusions must also be upside down. The following information is from Dr. R.G. Gallup's book, Evolution, The Greatest Deception in Modern History. He writes, Many people believe that radioisotope techniques, such methods as carbon-14, uranium-lead, potassium-argon, and rubidium-stronium, are generally in agreement and the Earth is millions of years old. However, the reality is these various techniques produce results that don't agree with known dates or each other and don't agree with stratigraphic or fossil studies. The following are just a few examples. 
Marlstone rock bed near Banbury, England, is considered to be a Jurassic limestone dating 189 million years ago, according to ammonite and belemite index fossils, That, but radiocarbon dating of wood found in the limestone dates to 23,000 years. Uniformitarians assume that limestone was slowly deposited over millions of years on a shallow, tranquil ocean floor, a place normally absent of fossil wood. Factoring in the aging effect of depleted carbon by the flood, the radiocarbon date is consistent with fossils being buried with limestone 4,000 years ago. Additionally, wood found in sandstone and volcanic rocks, supposedly many millions of years old according to the geologic timescale, provides radiocarbon ages of just thousands of years. Sunset Crater, located just northeast of Flagstaff, Arizona, is known to be a recent volcano with Native American artifacts found in the basaltic rocks. According to the National Park Service, this volcano erupted between A.D. 1040 and 1100. This was verified by tree ring measurements that date the eruption at A.D. 1065. However, potassium argon, K-A-R, dating provides ages of 210,000 and 230,000 years. If the K-AR dating process were accurate, then the radioisotope age should be 904 years. Date of analysis in 1969 minus 1065. Mount Ranger Total of New Zealand erupted less than 300 years ago, according to radiocarbon dating of polystrate trees, but potassium-argon dating provides an age of 485,000 years. If the potassium-argon dating process were accurate, then the radioisotope age should be about 300 years. Mount Garaho of New Zealand erupted in 1949, 1954, and 1975. But potassium-argon dating ranges from 270,000 years to 3.5 million years, rubidium-stronium dating at 133 million years, Samarium neodymium at 197 million years and lead to lead at 3,908 million years. If these dating processes were accurate, these radioisotope ages should indicate recent eruptions of less than 50 years. Mount Holopai of Hawaii is known to have erupted in 1800, but various radioisotope, uh, radioisotope dating methods report ages between 140 million years and 2.96 billion years. If the radioisotope dating process were accurate, then the radioisotope age should be about 168 years. Mount Kilauea of Hawaii, another known lava flow less than 200 years old, yielded a potassium-argon age of about 21 million years, plus or minus 8 million years. If the dating process were accurate, then the radioisotope age should be about 200 years. Mount St. Helens, Washington State, erupted in 1980, but potassium-argon dating provides an age of about 2.8 million years. If the dating process were accurate, then the radioisotope age should be about 15 years. Cardenas basalts off the Incorrect Plateau, Grand Canyon, are datable by radioisotope techniques, and these basalts have been well studied by Dr. Stephen A. Austin. As indicated in the diagram, younger basaltic lava 
was extruded by volcanoes at the top of the plateau sometime after the canyon was eroded. Based on historical accounts, it appears that Native Americans actually witnessed these eruptions within the last few thousand years. Nevertheless, radioisotope techniques date the younger 2,000-year-old basalt between 1,270 millions to 2,600 million years. More amazingly, these younger rocks date older than the underlying much older rocks, Precambrian basalts. Obviously, something is wrong with these radioisotope techniques, end of quote. The following paragraphs are from the God Said, Man Said feature. What do they really know to be true? Very fake news indeed. The deceivableness of unrighteousness is unashamedly ballyhooed in the November 2016 issue of Scientific American. The headline on the front cover reads, Five Scientific Facts That People Often Get Wrong. When you arrive at the multi-page feature inside, you find this headline. Five Things We Know to Be True, with the subhead, A Compendium of Irrefutable Facts for These Fact-Starved Times. The lead article in The Five Things We, Need, we Know to Be True is authored by Michael Shermer. Speaking of the theory of evolution, Shermer writes, But it doesn't take a rocket scientist or an English naturalist to understand why a theory on the origin of species by means of natural selection would be so controversial. If new species are created naturally, not supernaturally, what place, what place then for God? No wonder more than a century and a half later, people of some religious faith still find the theory so terribly threatening. But in those intervening years, scientists have found so much evidence in support of the theory that it would be truly astonishing if it turned out not to be true, as shocking as if the germ theory of disease fell apart or if astrophysicists were forced to abandon the Big Bang model of the universe. The author attempts to buttress his truth with an appeal to radiometric dating, and he writes, The consistency of dating techniques also gives us confidence that the theory is true. Uranium-lead, rubidium-stronium, and potassium-argon dating, for example, are all reasonably consistent in their determination of the age of rocks and fossils. The ages are given in estimates, but the margins of error are in the range of 1%. It's not as if one scientist finds that a fossil hominid is 1.2 million years old, while another one finds that it's 10,000 years old, end of quote. The following paragraphs are found in a book authored by Morris and Morris titled Many Infallible Proofs. Note that Mr. Shermer embraces potassium-argon dating. As in the case of uranium dating, potassium dating also commonly yields great ages on rocks known to be very young. The, radio, the, the radiogenic car, argon, excuse me, the radiogenic argon and helium contents of three basalts erupted into the deep ocean from an active volcano, Kilo, have been measured. Ages calculated from these measurements increase with sample death up to 22 million years. For lavas de, uh, deduced to be recent, it is possible to deduce that these lavas are, very, lavas are very young, probably less than 200 years old. And again, we ask how it is possible to be sure that potassium ages are correct when determined for rocks of unknown age 
when the same method gives ages 100,000 times too great for rocks whose ages we know. End of quote. Geologist Andrew Snelling had this to say concerning potassium-argon dating in Volume 2 of Earth's Catastrophic Past. After the May 18, 1980 eruption of Mount St. Helens in Washington State, a new lava dome began developing from October 26, 1980 onwards within the volcano's crater. In 1986, less than 10 years after it flowed and cooled, a dacite lava from this dome was sampled and analyzed. The lava flow yielded a potassium-argon age of 350,000 years for the whole rock, and the constituent minerals yielded potassium-argon ages up to 2.8 million years. Similarly, the June 30, 1954 andesite lava flow from Mount Nagaro, central North Island, New Zealand, yielded potassium-argon model ages up to 3.5 million years, due to excess of 40 AR. Furthermore, a separate split of that flow sample also yielded a model age of 0.8 million, which indicates the variability in the excess of 40 AR. Investigators have also found that excess 40 AR is preferably trapped in the minerals within lava flows with 1K AR date on online crystals in a recent basalt being greater than 110 million years, end quote. The eruption of Mount St. Helens happened in 1980, and Mount Nogarho erupted in 1954. According to Shermer, the ages are given in estimates, but the margins of error are in the range of 1%. It is not as if one scientist finds that a fossil hominid is 1.2 million years old, while another finds it 10,000 years old. Is he correct? Just one example in this feature is Mount St. Helens, which, by the way, is celebrating its 41st birthday. Again, concerning Mount St. Helens, the volcanic catastrophe began in 1980. Her rock age was measured by the potassium-argon methods. The results? Lava rock, 350,000 years old. Constituent minerals, 2.8 million years. When measured, the volcanic rock was less than 10 years old. One last point concerning various aging methods is addressed by Ann Gibbons. Ann Gibbons wrote in the January 2, 1998 issue of Science an unsettling article for evolutionists under the heading, Calibrating the Mitochondrial Clock. Gibbons reports, Mitochondrial DNA appears to mutate much faster than expected, prompting new DNA forensic procedures and raising troubling questions about the dating of evolutionary events. In 1991, Russians exhumed a, Sibir a Siberian grave containing nine skeletons thought to be the remains of the last Russian, Russian Tsar Nicholas II and his family and retinue who were shot by firing squad in 1918. But two bodies were missing, so no one could be absolutely certain of the remains. And DNA testing done in 1992 expected to settle this issue quickly instead raised a new mystery. The mystery concerned the dates relating to the clock rate. It appears that mutations occur at a much more rapid date than had been imagined. Although there seems to be considerable debate about the cause of the faster rate, the faster rate has been verified by independent investigations. Finally, Gibbon says, Regardless of the cause, evolutionists are most concerned about the effect of a faster mutation rate. For example, Researchers have calculated that the mitochondrial eve, 
the woman whose MTDNA was ancestral to, to that all of living people, lived 100 to 2,000 years ago in Africa. Using the new clock, she would be a mere 6,000 years old, end of quote. Since uh, that feature was published 23 years ago, situations have not improved, end of quotes. Let's close with a few excerpts from last week's feature, Names of Blasphemy, Part 3. The high blasphemy of evolution is not built upon facts at all. By their own admission, it is built on nothing. Evolution is the religion of unbelief, of antichrist, of anti-faith. It is the spirit of strong delusion. It is the deceivableness of unrighteousness. The absurdity of it all, the unimaginable odds against its lame theories, are entirely insurmountable, but they soldier on. The world is gripped by the deadly end-day spirit of strong delusion. The spirit of strong delusion is here and rules the hearts of the damned. Evolution is the devil's brew, and it can do no good thing. It is forbidden. Doomsday approaches quickly. The end of time is knock, knock, knocking at the door. If you ever ran the race, it is time to run it now. Click on the further with Jesus for instructions. Prepare to meet your God. God said, 1 Timothy six twenty and 21, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. God said, Proverbs 35 and 6, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. God said, Exodus 20, verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Man said, There was this big bang, and everything you see, from the hummingbird and elephant, to the tulip and stalks of corn that feed the masses, to the sun, moon, and stars, to the human mind to consider all of it, just evolved from nothing into everything. Wow! Isn't evolution so awesome? It really satisfies the reasoning mind, don't you think? Now you have the record. <laughs> 